so we're a little bit more clerical this week, Father Anthony. Yes, we are. We are even getting clericalism is being brought up a level. How could this be, Father Harrison? We're already so very clerical. How could we possibly become more clerical? We have a guest with us this week. We have Father Josh Meyer from Mayer. Sorry, Mayer. I don't know why I keep on saying Meyer. Father Josh. Father Josh. Father Josh Mayer. Father Josh. <laughs> Father, Josh. Father Josh. I don't know why I keep on messing up his last name. It's so easy. But anyways, uh, Father Josh from the Diocese of Gallup. He's doing my mission here this week. Uh, he's our mission preacher on the four last things. So uh, welcome to Clerically Speaking. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, fathers. Thanks, clerics. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing our mission. Father Josh and I got to know each other when I was a seminarian. Uh, I spent six months in the Diocese of what Gallup. What year was that? That would have been... 2012, 2013, yeah. early yeah. 2013. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, because yeah. I was yeah. ordained a deacon. That's six so. years. God help us. It's a long time. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. very and long And now time. I get to see Father Harrison in his natural habitat of Canada. <laughs> what, what, can, what Canadian things have you partaken of since you've been here? We had moose wrestling, which was absolutely <laughs> incredible. And... Uh, You're making fun of it. so happy to <laughs> I, I can't... I am just... This was a great did. idea. I love this idea so much. Josh, Father Josh, you're amazing. This is already we, uh, the best podcast we've had. We so did far. some clothes horking. <laughs> so I don't even know what that was. What? What's clothes horking? That's, that's my favorite line from uh, What's the Greatest Canadian Film of All Time? Kane Bacon? No, the other one with Rick Moranis. Oh, and, uh, um, uh, the, Strange Brew. Strange Brew. There's a part when they're in this locker room after a hockey game and their clothes are gone. And Rick Moranis says, hey, someone worked our clothes. And uh, I don't know. It's just been so I appreciate being able to actually come and hork some clothes in the great Canadian uh, Southwest. <laughs> we, did, we ate Tim Hortons. That's true. I, I condescended to eat Tim Hortons, yeah. just so we're clear, because I'm a snob, as everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This makes well, me we think have you actually eat this makes me think you eat at Tim Hortons all the time. Uh, I'm calling shenanigans on your Tim Hortons hate. <laughs> you're just trying real hard fine. to be like some hipster Canadian, but you're a total normie Canadian and you know it. Listen, this is how much I love Father Josh. Mm. I bought him. What did I buy you? He got me Paps Blue Ribbon so I would feel at home what? here in the... <laughs> While he was drinking Unibrow beer. Unibrew. <laughs> Unibrew. <laughs> Father Anthony just like enjoyed it. He, he can just watch us. You know, what? you can take a break this week, Father Anthony. I know. Just all the Canada jokes are. I just no, we I'm, had I'm just so we happy. had Tim Hortons. Yeah, we had poutine. We had American Mexican or Canadian Mexican. We had, we had Canadian burritos, yeah. which were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw seaplanes, which we don't really have that much of in California, where I grew up. It's wait, a wait, different kind quick, of harbor. What, what goes in a Canadian burrito? Maple syrup, bacon, not bacon, no donuts, bacon, bacon, yeah. donut holes, donut holes, yeah, um, pasta, a, a, just a tiny bit of hockey stick slivers to <laughs> accentuate, to give it a woody feel, you know, like a woody taste, like a, you know, like, like it's like good. you know, it's like like those oak ba- oak aged beers in those oak aged barrels. It's kind okay. of the same thing here. Hockey yeah. stick aged uh, burritos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was good. It was delicious. Yeah, you can really taste the hockey sweat. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so no, 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 no. I don't like that at all. Blech. Yeah. And uh, he's seen lots of water. Yeah, it's beautiful. Victoria is beautiful. And Port Alberni is beautiful as well. Yeah. And in Victoria, there's tons of cool people from all over the world, like being in a real city, uh, which was great. The young adult group we met with on Sunday night yeah. was like super inspiring. And uh, just a bunch of really cool, cool kids there. 
following the Lord as best they can in a big city and getting to know each other. It yeah. was it was really cool. Yeah, Ooh. awesome. Speaking a, of speaking a. of the Utes, did either of the you guys Utes? read Christus Vivit, the new post synodal exhortation from the Holy Father Pope Francis? Ooh, uh, no. Why why would I read? <laughs> you read all the time. You read way more than I do. Why would I read? Why would I mean, why wouldn't you read Christus Vivit? I hear it's very platitudinous. So, uh in the spirit of both Twitter and uh podcasting, I'm going to say some stuff about it even though I've never read it. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Uh why is this even a thing? <laughs> Youths? The no, youth? see, here's the thing, though. Like, the idea of writing a document to the youth, I think, is funny because right now, youth culture changes so quickly and so often that to write a big, long document about it, like you know what you're talking about, just sounds very silly to me. Also, hmm. like, why don't we just treat the youth like, I don't know, regular Normal Catholics? Uh, hmm. So that's yeah. my hot take for not reading it. I'm trying to get people angry at me, Father Harrison, because right now, they're not angry at me. They're certainly not angry at Father Josh. They're super ticked off at you. Because on this podcast right now, there are two yes. priests who are devoted to Our Lady. And apparently you are not <laughs> Listen, one of them. Why? Wait, hold on, hold on. First, before before we go any further with this, let me let me introduce the podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Josh Mayer. And we are welcome to Clerically Speaking. All right. So here's the deal, folks. I know you've been waiting on pins and needles. Well, first is the great, the uh, most reverend, his all holiness, Father Matt Fish, mm-hmm. had a great Twitter thread on this subject that I highly endorsed already. But fear not, next week, next week, we know we've been keeping you for two weeks on this. Next week, you will definitely... We're actually going to talk about devotions and the, the devotional life of the church in general. So I promise, I've started rereading True Devotion to Mary. Mm-hmm. But here's the first thing, okay? Okay. First thing is, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I never claimed that St. Louis like doesn't... like It was excessive in his love for Mary. That was never something I said. That's people. Pe- people are putting words in my mouth, and that's mm. like that's not okay. Like, come mm. on, Father Harrison, are you consecrated to the Blessed Virgin? I Mary? am. Uh, I have done the true devotion. Okay. You're not actually a Catholic unless you go through the true devotion. <laughs> people don't know yeah, this. Exactly. It's this not baptism. True. It's not Eucharist. It's not confirmation. It's actually <laughs> true devotion. You exactly. have to go through those thirty-three days, or it doesn't count. And you're not a really real Catholic unless you just keep on doing it every thirty-three days. <laughs> That's that would be so intense. Someone's gonna do that now. If you want to do that, if you're listening and you thought that was a good idea, make sure you get a spiritual director first, and then he'll tell <laughs> exactly. you what to do. Um, I've been rereading it. So far, I haven't encountered anything bad or anything like that. It's just I, I have my I, I've been formulating my thoughts, but mm-hmm. I need time to give. You see, here's the thing, folks, because this isn't really my fault. This is Father Anthony's fault. Go on. Because I was like, I don't want to say anything right now. I don't really have proof. This is just an intuition that I'm going off because I didn't really prepare in this area. And Father Anthony's like, you should do it. You should do it. Come on. Come no, on. No, do no, it. No, he no. egged me on. I think my he direct... egged me on. No, and... no, 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 no. My direct quote was do it, 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 do it. And you know what? I think it's all turned out well for me. But folks, don't worry. I've got all these, 
I've got all these Marion books on my bookshelf. I'm going to take them for my day off. So I will defend Our Lady's honor as it is assaulted by Father Harrison. So don't you worry. Wow. True devotion Whoa. will remain. Here's the question for you. Yeah. Who do you love more, Mary or Joseph? Oh, it's like, that's, that's not fair. Um, well, it's a totally fair question, and you have to answer it. Okay. Um, because here's the thing. Yes. You're going to be hated by someone now. Because mm-hmm. here's the, and this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. If you say you love Mary, then all Italians will hate you. Right. And you will be revoked of all Italianness. Yikes. Suddenly you'll be like very waspy American. <laughs> take away my Italian You'll card. be like, good <laughs> afternoon and welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. <laughs> and we're so happy to have you here today. I'll go to eat pasta and someone will break my exactly. thumbs and like throw me outside. And if you say St. Joseph, then everyone's going to think you're a bad Catholic. So you see, mm-hmm. you're... You have you're 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 doomed with this question. So what's your answer? So definitely my love for Mary is definitely something that I've had for a longer time, and I know more about her. And my admiration, love for Saint Joseph, is something that has kind of quietly grown over the years. Something I'm getting into right now. So as far as my spiritual focus overall is Mary, but recently is Joseph. And hopefully that's a convoluted enough answer where people won't realize <laughs> what I've said and will just leave me alone. But, no, you're saying you love Mary more, more and now you're not Italian. Wow. Bummer. Well, folks, for real, though. Do you know who been, was? Do you what? know who was Italian? Who was Italian? St. Thomas Aquinas. Woo! Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. All right. Before I go in my Summa Tweetalog introduction, I cut you off. You wanted to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because some of you guys are actually angry. And, and don't be. We actually all love Mary on this podcast. Exactly. Father Josh, you love Mary, right? Mary's awesome. Yeah. See, we all love Mary. We just like talk theology sometimes. And, and sometimes we say crazy things. So uh, Exactly. Okay. Let's get all into right. this. All right. So the Summa Theologica, I got it, uh, was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tritologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up, Father Anthony, go for it. This is from at Simcha Fisher, and the tweet is, Why We Can't Have Baptisms During Lent. And it's a link to an article. And there's just one little paragraph. I'm going to read it. Lent is all about acknowledging our fallen nature and appealing to the Holy Spirit for help in conquering sin. Lent is about remembering that sin has wounded and weakened us and that we are in desperate need of God's grace and salvation. We can gain this grace by engaging in ancient practices which engage both the body and the spirit, and we emerge refreshed and reunited with God, humbly giving thanks for his mercy and salvation. Baptism, on the other hand, is... And then she repeats the same exact paragraph. <laughs> and then she says, oh, so you see, it makes perfect sense why you can't have baptisms during Lent. And the whole thing is, it's a joke. Because some people were saying, apparently, recently on Twitter, that you can't have baptisms during Lent. And that's ridiculous. But why I liked this little article that she wrote <laughs> was that a lot of people thought she was serious. And she refused to explain her joke. And I really admire that. 
Father Josh, you have opinions. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> um, I guess it's not just other people on Twitter that thought you couldn't have baptisms just, just during Lent. Just shut up. <laughs> Who else thought you couldn't have baptisms during Lent? I'll get to it in a second. Just shut up. <laughs> wait, 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 Father Harrison. Are you wrong again? This is amazing. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Did Hold you on. not think you could have baptisms no, no. during Lent, Father Harrison? Be honest. I, be honest. I will, yes, I will, I'll explain it to you in a second. Just I'll let Father Josh explain this. I'm trying to be a hospitable host, and I'm trying to give my guest the primacy of place. He ought to be first. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, there, this has been like a classic misconception in the church for a long time. People think, people think that all over the place you can't have baptisms during lent and i don't know we take out like holy water in the fonts during lent as well to symbolize the fact that grace is denied during this period of <laughs> 40 days when we prepare for i don't know to walk with our lord on the way of the cross and uh and i don't know yeah, it's just ridiculous i don't know but here's the thing you, you don't put sand in your fonts because you guys are surrounded by we have it. a lot of sand already. you guys have a lot of sand yeah. all mm-hmm. right so here's the deal what's the yes deal? i thought we could not have baptisms during Lent. I actually thought it was like a liturgical thing. Outside of like emergencies, obviously, right? I was taught this by another priest and I just never looked it up. Uh, So... I am just so disappointed. Here is the other thing, because now I just look like a real jerk, because I actually had a family ask about a baptism during (laughs) Lent when their grandma was... What did you tell them? What did you tell this good, holy family? But they said to me, well, I don't think we're allowed to do baptisms during Lent, so I understand if it's a no, we can wait till after Easter. And that's what I said. I said, yeah, we can. We'll have to do it after Easter. Because, like, I don't know. I just trusted this priest, apparently, and I guess I was wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I'm okay. Listen, I am humble enough to recognize my faults and my wrong opinions. And in this case, I did. And I'm sorry. And I repent. And I'm writing an email slowly to this parishioner to apologize profusely because their grandma, (laughs) her grandma, the great grandma could not be there for the baptism now. So anyways, (laughs) I make, listen, I just... Listen, this is the thing. This is why it's a, I, I just, I don't know. I just trusted this priest. This priest, 99.9% of the time can be trusted on, on things. So mm. I just guess he had the wrong opinion about it. It's a common enough misconception yeah. that, that nobody questions it, including priests who have had their canon law class. Hmm. We never really went over that in canon law because hmm. it's a liturgical question, not a canonical question. Whatever. I think we all got a lot out of that tweet. We realized that Father Harrison doesn't know anything about baptism. Now, Father Harrison, go ahead. What's our next tweet? All right. Uh, from Ed Condon, at Ken Lawyer Ed. Now, full upfront stuff. I have not actually read this article. I just really thought the tweet was interesting. Uh, yeah. Sat within debate about clericalism. The new de- definition of vulnerable adults in sexual abuse cases makes it hard to conceive of a sexual relationship involving a priest which couldn't be argued to rise to the level of abuse. 
Yeah. And, and I found this, I just found like the summary convincing and interesting enough, right? That mm-hmm. what it's saying now, like I guess what these, now this is where my ignorance of not actually having read the article before recording uh, was, is this the new, because I know Vatic, the Vatican has put out new policies for the state of the Vatican about these things. Yeah. But I don't know if this is a policy that is binding to the whole universal church yet. Um, so I'll have to maybe read the article afterwards and but, find I out. Mean, but, but regardless, regardless, yeah. the, the Ed's point is saying that the church is moving in a direction. And I think it's a right direction to talk about. And I think it, it, in a good way, it's going to strike more fear in priests from to ensure that they don't break their promises. Right. And it's, it's a really common sense thing that you're a priest. You're not just a priest. You're a priest for everybody. You are yeah. everyone's priest because yeah. you, yeah, okay. And so there can be no relationship mm-hmm. like that that isn't an abuse. Exactly. Because you are their father. There's exactly. No, there's no, you can't make that consensual and say it's okay. It's always going to be a deep abuse. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and part of the reason why I'm uh, getting more into my devotion, uh, St. Joseph, is that one way I've been looking at the sins that, many priests and bishops have committed is that they have abandoned their fatherhood and joseph teaches us how to be a good father and a good foster father which i think that spirituality clicks really well with the spirituality of fatherhood in the priesthood so Mm -hmm. anything to add father josh yeah just like you said it's common sense when people come to us they're often in a position of vulnerability and we're in a position of authority and they're looking to us for guidance and fatherhood is always a part of that relationship, some sort uh-huh. of spiritual fatherhood. So any way that we're looking at our children as an object of our desire needs to be purified from our hearts and acting on that is abusive. That's the nature of our relationship exactly. with others. Exactly. We're in authority as well. Yeah. We need yeah. to take that seriously as, as a position of service always. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, if this becomes like kind of law or practice in the church, I think it's a good thing because it sometimes, especially if, if it's a priest, maybe where that is going to be like a little temptation for them. Sometimes you need that little bit of like real fear because actually, because the, the fear is coming to like, no, no, let <laughs> me rephrase. the fear of God isn't enough for you, now we've got canon right. law. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing, because I think if, if the fear is striking you, then that means you actually really love your priesthood, Right. You don't want to lose it. And sometimes you recognize your weaknesses and everything and you need that little bit. It's like an, I guess it's a, it's a strong encouragement to stay faithful to the promises you've made to not say, oh, well, if I do this, then I'm going to be okay. Now nah, it's saying, no, like actually you're not. And, and it's, it's a reminder of the eternal consequences that come from this action. Right. So it's, it's like a, it's a, it's, it's the fear that comes from like a warning, like uh, the analogy I like to use with people when I'm talking about hell is you know, you're going to almost yell at a kid almost. Well, not yell at them, but you're going to scream at them, like, don't get too close to the edge. You're going to fall off, right? It's out of a place of love that you're saying that, but they're, and that's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. So Father Harrison uh, isn't devoted to Our Lady, um, yells at children, and doesn't oh baptize babies. <laughs> Is that what's happening? <laughs> and Father Anthony hates Italians. So I think I win. Okay, speaking of Italians, who I'm angry at, um, this is from Claudio Lavanga. Uh, Apparently, he's an NBC reporter. And uh, the tweet is this. On Pontifex flight to Morocco, I pretended to withdraw my hand during the traditional handshake, then asked why he withdrew his from many of the faithful who tried to kiss his hand in Loretto on Monday. 
Pontifex said, because of hygiene, my hand got wet and I didn't want to start a contagion. Okay, so attached to this tweet is a little video of the Pope going down the airplane, shaking people's hands. This guy does a too slow thing with his hand where he pulls his hand back. Not only does he pull his hand back from the Pope, he then wags his finger at the Holy Father to chide him for what he did in Loretto. And I am so angry about this because that is you, not— No, no, no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You can't be angry because you're not Italian anymore. No, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm just now I'm even angrier because I'm confused and <laughs> this Canadian's talking to me like how dare you who the hell do you think you are to wag your finger at the Pope because you don't know what's going on yeah. he had no idea why the Holy Father did that with his hands and he did, played this game and he had someone recording there so he could get mm -hmm. it out and do his stupid tweets how dare he do that I am so everything no one's allowed on the internet. The internet is canceled. Our show is canceled. You're not learning anything more about the Pope. You are going to church and you are praying your rosary and you're stop spreading division over stupid crap like whether or not someone can kiss the Pope's hand. Okay? Amen. That, Amen. That, you, Brother you Joseph. Want, you want to add to that, Father Josh? You got something to say about that? Yeah, I didn't care at all about this before, but your passion has riled me up. And uh, yeah, that guy. Oh Lavanga. my gosh, it was and so it shows you dumb. that the. I mean, it shows you actually it was a much smaller thing than we were all even talking about when we were commenting on it, right? Like it actually had nothing to do with his <sighs> office. I think it was just that day there was a yeah. reason why he didn't want it. That was right. it. That was it. And the, just to get over yourselves, people. And I'm Stop sorry for politicizing saying... the Pope. <laughs> And with if Caitlin T with Tokens kids are listening, I said stupid and dumb, and I know those are bad words, and I apologize. And crap. And I said crap too, so my bad. It's my turn to rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, Brother Joseph OCD at Fred Joe CD. Uh, One Peter five has a piece up by Peter Kwasniewski right now, in which a young priest in distress writes to him to a and asks if he can celebrate the Novus Ordo in good conscience. And Quaz responds, no, you can't. Leave your religious community and join one that is exclusively TLM. Turn down the radio, folks. I am so sick and tired of 1 Peter 5. I am so sick and tired of these websites that are sowing division for no good reason. I am so sick and tired of these so-called faithful Catholics who are sowing division and ruining people's faith. This man has made his vows to his religious community. He has promised to be with them forever. And he's saying, break up your vows, leave them. If you're reading 1 Peter 5, go to confession. I'm serious. Whoa. Because you're reading something that is dangerous to your soul. Mm. There are others. I'm not. Listen, there are other things that are dangerous to your soul. Absolutely. But this is one of them. They do not bring. Um, they do not build up the body of Christ. They divide it. And anything that does not build up is not of God. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea. I mean, it's it's. I'm of two minds of not this, but something that's going on in the church. The lady have more and more of a voice in the church in a lot of ways. That's really good. There are really good Catholic speakers, theologians, 
uh, writers, even bloggers who do a lot to build up the body of Christ. But then you've got these guys uh, who not only are writing and doing um, YouTube things and podcasts, but they are speaking as if they are the magisterium. Yep. Father Harrison, I hope you and I do a good enough job of saying what is our theological opinion, what is yep. church teaching, yeah, right? Because exactly. that's an important distinction to make. <clears throat> and we see ourselves as servants of something higher. Exactly. And this is something that some people who, who write, they have not made a promise of obedience. The, profession it, of faith. A profession of faith. Mm. And that's not to say that priests are infallible in teaching. We know priests in the media who should not be and should not be speaking and should be censored. We know that there are priests like that. But these people are operating under no earthly obedience mm -hmm. and are now making themselves the magisterium of the church and are leading people astray. And just because you have an STB and a fun last name that you can turn into a YouTube series doesn't mean you're an authority. Right. And, and here's the thing. Things are very dangerous in the church right now. Satan is certainly attacking us, but he is more clever than you. And he is using these people to cause more division, period. And these are not real journalists, folks. No. These are people with theological degrees. Great. Fantastic. They're not... I have theological degrees. Does that make me a reporter? No. They don't... They, they are not bound by journalistic standards. They do not live by them. And all they do is pump up their opinion as news. It's got to die. Stop giving money to these places. Stop giving them the clicks. I refuse to read anything they write. I refuse to give them my clicks. Yeah. I refuse it. I refuse it. They cannot... They will not... They need to die... And they need to die fast. 1 Peter 5, church militant, mm -hmm. to an extent, life side news. These places need to go. Mm -hmm. Father Josh, do you want to weigh in on this? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> I just, I guess part of it too is where, how you interact with these things. I think every once in a while I see them like on my Facebook or something, but I just don't. I think I went, I think Peter, Mr. Kwasniewski, Dr. Kwasniewski, I think he taught at my undergrad, hmm. uh, but I don't think I ever knew him. And uh, I mean, I agree with like the division. Is 1 Peter 5 a set of a contest website? No, nope. like, they, they the, claim yeah. not to be. But, they claim not to be. But they, yeah. They act like mm -hmm. it. Right. Or they just deny like anything that happened after Vatican II. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, something... For me, it's not something that I get super upset about because it doesn't. I don't feel it affects my parishioners a whole well, lot. Here's so the thing. Actually, the I want to bring that up because I, I, I do recognize like it does affect parishioners. Yeah. Um, maybe not one Peter five in this case, but I know others on the internet whose videos like. I, okay, do I, I'm not. I'm not holding back right now. Taylor Marshall yeah. needs to go. Um, they. I know parishioners who are watching those videos because. Some of them don't know how to navigate the internet. And so they're yeah. looking things up on the views crisis and look whose YouTube videos show up first. And uh, it, they don't recognize the damage. They, I know parishioners who are saying they get depressed because of what's been going on in the church. And they're watching these videos and they actually don't, because they don't know where else to look. Because yeah. here's the other problem. We aren't out there giving a kind of balanced approach to it this is why i'm grateful for services like catholic news agency and the whole crew there because mm -hmm. they're really striving to give like a very balanced but the, but the thing is that takes time they're actually journalists they're actually journalists yeah. which means they have, if they're going to do an investigate if they're going to investigate something it's going to take time they can't just they can't just pump out an article just because they feel like it they got to actually research what they want to say 
And it's not just they're coming out with balanced news or anything. They're just trying to get the complete truth. Yeah. And and that it's not, it's not like they're making it wishy-washy or watering it down. And I get why these guys are so popular is because a lot of people are angry right now. Yeah. And they give voice to that anger. Yeah. It's a very complicated time in the church. They make things black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not everything they say is wrong necessarily. Right. Uh, not everything they propose is wrong. But it's the manner in which they do it. It's the spirit in which they do it. And it's just not how the way they go about things while they may claim differently. If you look at the history of true reformers in the Catholic Church, they don't go about it the way these people are. Exactly. If you want to change the church, be a saint. Yep. All right. We'll probably get in trouble for that. Yeah, probably. All right. Time for Patreon pontifications. (laughs) Patreon pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. You know what I love? Because the Patreon pontification music is so, like, happy and nice. (laughs) We got angry on this one here. I know, but sometimes you need paternal correction, Father Harrison. You need priests to act like fathers in a masculine way, say you guys are being stupid. Okay, sorry I said stupid again. Okay. (laughs) All right. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. So this week's tweet comes from Father David Vard. Oh, I think this is our first clerical supporter. I know. It's very This exciting. is a truly clerical episode. <laughs> we're, we're not, only, yeah, not only do we have an extra priest, we have a priest Patreon supporter who chose a tweet by someone who is a priest. <laughs> you can't get more clerical than this, folks. You know what? Right. I'm gonna fire. I'm gonna edit this uh, whole episode too, so Nick doesn't even have anything to do with it. There we go. Sounds good. <laughs> That's not true. I couldn't do that. Uh, you, you're no, very please good don't. At your please job. don't. I think that please back. don't. Sorry, please don't. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he's uh, choosing uh, at D Long Longenecker one at Father, uh, Father Dwight Longenecker. There is a crisis in the priesthood because everyone has forgotten what a priest is. He is not a counselor, a social worker, an agony aunt, whatever that means. A paper pusher a youth worker or therapist he offers a sacrifice to reconcile god and man banish satan forgive sins and heal the sick you go first yeah so if you want um uh takes and tweets that will definitely give you something to talk about uh father uh longenecker he'll he'll give you some tweets so you can talk about uh but this one i actually kind of i like 85 percent agree with Okay. I think there needs to be a return to the cultic and aspect of the priesthood. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of stuff priests do that other people can do and potentially do better. Um, administrative work, paperwork, um, organizational. It depends on the guy. Uh, but parish the one missions. thing. Parish I mean, yeah. I was kidding. Uh, I was kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I had to dig at Father Josh. But I think we need to remember, like, what. We, where we are ordained for and I think there needs to be a return a little bit not completely not just to be sacrobots or anything like that but to understand what the heart of the priesthood what does a priest do so I get where he's going with that and I like I said I like uh, maybe even 90% agree mm-hmm. um, so what's the 10% the 10% is uh, it's not just this because you bring you do bring 
Christ to people outside of the sacraments and sacramentals just by your presence. So, Which is a sacrament. Uh, yes, a small s sacrament, right? Well, no, no, you're no, like, oh, your my priesthood. priest is a sacrament, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. D- yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you not know this? <laughs> no, I didn't know this. I was confused about what you were saying. Oh, okay. now that we've clarified it <laughs> and we both agree, there's no reason to fight, so <laughs> <laughs> dang it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, because yeah, uh, I'm babbling, it's a good yeah. tweet. Thumbs up. I think I think it's, I think generally he's right. Like, and it's something I've been trying. I think, and I don't know, and maybe if, uh, Josh can jump in here with this too. Is I, I think our generation of priests want a bit more. Like, we want to really focus in on our cultic and sacramental work. That this is who we are. This is what we do. Now, it's not to say that these other things he mentions aren't part of that job. Right. It's like we were just That's talking true. about, right? Like, um, that is part of actually the exercise of the sacrament. Like, for example, like we're pastors here. Yeah. You're not. But we are. We got more mm-hmm. canonical rights than you do. So take <laughs> yeah. that. You um, can have that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy it while you can, Father Anthony. Enjoy <laughs> it while you can. Uh, but the, you know, so coming with being a pastor comes with the uh, canonical right of governance, for example, which mm-hmm. does require because like it's our job as good shep- as good shepherds to also manage, steward the the gifts that people give to us through their collection and stuff like that to ensure the books are being yeah. you know to ensure that what people are giving is being used well right yeah. Yeah. and not just being spent frivolously and no one keeping track of budgets and everything like that we have a job to that and so and and coming with that sometimes when you're doing when people want to talk to you, there is a little bit of therapy or counseling going on. And, and we do work with youth and, and we do do a little bit of social work, but they're not, but they're all not. I think what he's trying to get at, if I'm understanding him correctly, I think that's the way people see that the priesthood is. Like, they're just a counselor or they're just a social worker right. and that's or a paper good. pusher. Right. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. not true. Right. And that's the way some, even some priests have unfortunately kind of seen their priesthood. Yeah. But no, all these things come out of yeah. our, an exercise of our priesthood. And if we mm-hmm. see our priesthood properly that way, then that's, it, it makes sense. Yeah. The priest, I mean, the heart of our, of our charism now is that we're called to offer a reconciling sacrifice. And there's only one priest, Jesus Christ. And we're, we're now consecrated into him. We're ordained into him. But the guys that inspired me the most in seminary, as I was getting close to priesthood, were were not the ones that were like sick of the, sick of, you know, being thought of as a paper pushes or agony ants and just wanted to do the cultic things. It was the people that were the guys that were integrating their, their clerical work, their bureaucratic work are all those things that can seem like, you know, that thing that, that you said, Father Anthony, and we kind of say it a lot among ourselves as priests, like someone else could do this job. Sure. Yeah, sure. It doesn't mean it's not your job. Um, and so do it well and integrate it into your priesthood so that at mass, when you say, this is my body in the words of Christ, like I can be like, I gave up my body to push papers yesterday and, uh, to get those emails done. And I'm not a social worker or a therapist, but I can be the front line for that and give someone the love of Christ. So integrate all that stuff, integrate the bureaucracy into your, into your sacrificial priesthood. And then you're living that sacrament that Father Harrison is talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, otherwise it can be split and separate that's what we don't want we don't want an unintegrated split up lifestyle integrated into the sacrament of your priesthood so thank you father david for your generous donation and you know this being a super clerical episode 
there's nothing more proper than presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yes. yes, quite. Yes, quite. So um, I, I had this idea because I thought, well, hey, Father Josh is here and he's, uh, I gave him my dining room table anyways for his talks because my desk is a mess. And uh, so I said, well, I need to use this to record my podcast. So you're going on it whether you like it or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think Father Josh has a very interesting, um, I think he has some very interesting things to share about being in a missionary diocese. We were, t we were talking because my diocese is actually technically a missionary diocese too. I would say less so than his in a way but but we are still designated like we still are designated as a missionary diocese you know, here is it just numbers that decides whether or not you're a whoa, missionary whoa, whoa. diocese oh. how's that work okay well these are okay what what, what designates yeah, so what's, you? what's a mission diocese yeah and uh yeah i think that's like numbers has more to do with it i guess and a lot of times people think it's like finances like if you're broke you're a mission diocese. You don't have enough money to pr pay for your programs or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's like a, that can be an effect of being a mission diocese. But ecclesiologically speaking, a mission diocese is a diocese, a, an area of the church that uh, does not support itself vocationally yet. So the, uh, the faith is not uh, deep enough in the soil and has not become fruitful to support itself. So like... Uh, I'm Gallup, New Mexico, Gallup, New Mexico, and Arizona. That's that's our diocese, and the faith has been there for like 500 years. It's been it's been uh, the faith has been in in that area, of the Southwest, for longer than almost anywhere else in the U.S. And we've never ever ever supported ourselves vocationally. It's always been Jesuits, Franciscans, people like me from California. Uh, right now, we have a lot of African Indian priests that are that are coming out as missionaries. So that's a, mm -hmm. that's a mission is a place that doesn't support itself vocationally. Right. Yeah. So um, I think this is a very interesting thing to talk about. Like this is a, a, a very particular way of, of living out one's priesthood. So I thought it'd be very interesting to hear kind of his, some of his, like how he came to this decision, mm -hmm. uh, what, uh, what it's been like for him so far. And uh, maybe a little bit about like um, how we can help support these mission dioceses more. So yeah, maybe Father Josh, you could tell us like, how did you come to decide to? You're from California, yeah. the gorgeous West Coast, right? To go to it's the high, high, dry, the high yeah, desert of desert. New Mexico and yeah. Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, vocational discernment for me was, I think, the same as as anybody who's engaged in like trying to follow Jesus. So it didn't feel so much. The decision wasn't like where would I fit in the best, what place would I most like to go. Um, cause that would have been like the beach of Oahu, uh, <laughs> but it was like following Jesus over the years. And eventually I moved to New Mexico. I moved to Gallup, um, cause a bunch of friends were out there and cause they had a job for me when I needed a job. So that's when I moved to New Mexico and, uh, was teaching at the Catholic school in Gallup. What up Gallup Catholic Cathedral High. And, uh, while I was there, just very clearly felt the invitation from Jesus to enter into the seminary, at least, kind of one step at a time. Followed him and had more confirmation and joy every year, clarity in my call. And for me, a lot of it was like figuring out along that way what it means to be a missionary priest. Because it wasn't, I didn't have my sights set on anything in particular. I have some ideal that I was looking for uh, to be 
filled. I wasn't looking for, I didn't have qualifications that I was looking for. I wanted to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm learning what it is to be a mission priest. And for our area in particular, the Diocese of Gallup is like 65,000 square miles, 56,000 square miles, one of the two. And we're in two different states. We're in New Mexico and Arizona because we were uh, formed by Pope Paul VI, as Father Harrison reminded me, uh, for a very particular reason to serve seven different Native American tribes out there. So we have Navajo, Hopi, Zuni, a couple Apache tribes, Acoma and Laguna. And then we have the lands that are in between. So we have a mission that way. We've been traditionally like Franciscan territory. We're a mission diocese, which is almost like hard to deal with. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, but so as we go along, as I go along in my priesthood, like I'm learning what this means. And uh, and I think what we were talking about and what we were um, like, the interesting point of discussion is that like in the church today, like in the spirit of the new evangelization, it's. Uh, we're always talking about, and rightfully so, like everywhere is mission territory now. Everywhere is mission territory. Don't think that your backyard and your home and uh, the school that you went to and your parish, like these are all mission territories, like, and uh, which is totally true. Like we all need to be constantly re-evangelized. And we're in a state where we've realized that catechesis without evangelization has, has been extremely detrimental to, to, uh, to the strength of our faith in our country and in our, in our world. Um, but what sometimes I feel like gets lost. So I'm, I'm the vocation director for our diocese now. And it's being a vocation director for a diocese that has never, ever, ever had enough vocations from the diocese, <laughs> like from the area. is just a fascinating and adventure. And uh, well, so in I the mean, midst- doesn't that mean that there's no way you can actually fail worse than what's already going on? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have three seminarians right now, which is like incredible. We've been having like Wait, how a many? steady three. <laughs> Three. Yeah, nice. three. Yeah, what's up? They've, they've got us beat. Yeah. We got two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The boys are over at uh, Josefina, Peter, Aaron, Luciano. What's up, guys? Love you. Proud of you. Uh, but yeah, it's like, a, but also those are dudes in seminary, too. One of them is from the majestic country of Canada. Another one is uh, more or less from Florida. And then and then one of our dudes is from New Mexico. And that ratio is about, about right for us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's so just how did like those guys get into your diocese. Then, were they? Did they move there? Do they? Yeah. Well, uh, Peter. Uh, Peter showed up at the doorstep of the cathedral a week before my ordination in 2015, off of a greyhound from Mexico, and has been hanging out ever since. <laughs> and uh, Aaron, I met him actually when I was doing a mission appeal, a financial appeal. In California, he'd been serving uh, the street community out there with some friends of his for 10 plus years. And then Luciano is actually from our diocese. Like he's, he's a local boy. So, okay. I mean, all these different ways that God, that God calls us. I mean, it's always that mystery and awesome adventure of grace. Um, but, but also we need to get the call out for mission diocese as well. I think what gets lost, what, what, can get lost in that beautiful conversation of like everywhere is mission territory your backyard is mission ter- territory like there's still classic mission territory there's still classic <laughs> mission territory like there's still the wild west that needs dudes and awesome women who hear the call like from all over to come and serve like we there's hearts out there that are being called to 
that kind of mission adventure and it exists it also exists in victoria dodge city kansas fairbanks alaska like if you uh, feel white horse white, northwest territories right in or yeah and you're yeah. in the yukons that you're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah yeah those are all mission territories still too if you feel called to the radical adventure of priesthood and you are a pilot <laughs> there are like there's a place for you like yes, there's there places is. that need that yeah you know yeah. Yeah, actually, one of the bishops of Whitehorse, I mean, actually died in a plane accident because he was off to say mass somewhere. And they got caught in a snowstorm and the instrument stopped working. So he couldn't tell the difference between the sky and the ground. Mm -hmm. And he got he kind of died in the plane accident, unfortunately. Uh, But I mean, you hear and back in the day, too, like this is is one of the cool experiences for me when I was up in in Whitehorse was, man, these guys were like, these are hardcore guys. Yeah, yeah. Like for in the in the north, it was the Oblates of Mary, the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, um, the OMIs, or sorry, Oblates of Mary Immaculate. Sorry, the OMIs who uh, who really were the missionary priests for those places. They could these dioceses like like Whitehorse still can't actually afford to have their own priests because they can't look after them when they retire and get and get old. Mm. So they can't they can't afford it. Um, so they depended on like religious orders to look after their dioceses and um and so like these guys like one of them one of these priests was like in the areas of iska dees lake and telegraph creek this priest built the two churches there and the two rectories by hand by himself oh wow and he lived there for like 30 years and the people still speak fondly of him today (laughs) <laughs> and and these are these are like communities with 200 and 300 people still today like they're not huge communities um you hear of like my diocese when it was first started was all of Vancouver Island all of British Columbia all of the Yukon all of Alaska all of Washington state all the way down to the river in Portland whoa that entire territory the Willamette yeah, I think Willamette? so. Or no, the, the Columbia River. The Columbia. Yeah, the Columbia, that's it. Um, all of my diocese was essentially like northwest North America. Mm-hmm. And like one of our bishops, actually, we were showing Josh the crypt where our bishops are buried. One of them actually died in in, in Alaska. He got murdered by his, yeah. by his the guy who was taking him on a boat. By to his go boat visit, dude. By his boat dude. It's a technical yeah, term. Yeah, it's a technical term, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, but he got murdered and we're actually looking still to see if it was like a martyrdom or not it's we haven't oh, been able to clarify that but you know the, this is like it was hardcore like people would would priests were coming in on on like canoes with uh all they came in with like a tabernacle strapped to their back and flour to make eucharistic bread like it's it, like i mean like you feel even nowadays like we're we are still mission territory but it's not as bad as it was back then like these guys are hardcore and these are the people who sewed the faith in our dioceses. I don't know if you have any stories of like that from back in the day that you know. I know Father Alec knows that stuff quite well, but oh, you're talking about my diocese. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, no. We're gonna keep this on you guys. Okay. So um, the usually for I think a lot of guys there's this um, feeling or being drawn toward the priesthood. I think next to that can sometimes be apart from the priesthood, a call toward mission work to help the poor or to preach the gospel in places that. Um, hasn't been preached before. How, uh, how do I want to formulate this question? How do those two things complement work together in discerning? How do you discern being a missionary priest as apart from a priest and apart from a missionary? Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, I think in, um, it just seems to me as vocation director for my diocese as well. So somebody who 
Praise and thinks a lot about discernment and all the tools of discernment. I think most of those things are integrated through your experience. So, like we we could talk about like the way our heart is formed and uh, the way that you're called. It's a lot easier to talk about like what a celibate heart is versus a non-celibate heart and all those mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, but for the most part, it's like what what is the experience of your life? How have you recognized the call of Jesus? Where does it come? For my guys that are in seminary, like it's through their in- encounters with Christ through people in Gallup when they were visiting and as they got to know us and however they wound up there, that that part of their heart gets awakened. I had no idea that I was called, I mean, besides not knowing I was called to be a priest, not yeah. knowing that I was called to be a missionary priest in particular. Um, and your heart, you guys have, I'm sure the same experience that like Christ revealed you to yourself along your discernment and you found out like while you were going through seminary and even in your first and second assignment, this is actually who you are and you love it and it fulfills you. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, it's like we need to get the word out about about the real like like the OG missions like they're here <laughs> and you need to experience this. Like Mother Teresa always says, like, come and see. Like, I don't know how to tell you if you're a missionary or not. Come and see and that part of your heart will mm-hmm. come alive. And that's the best. And because I think I would add to this, too, that um, I do find that I think a lot of guys, when they're thinking about priesthood, these ideas come to mind. Right. Like there is that like there's and it's a bit of like almost like a romanticization in a yeah. way like oh man, the missions would be amazing, right? I went up to Whitehorse for three and a half months and I'm like, yeah, no, I can't be here. <laughs> I would die up here. Um, and yeah. that's, that's okay, right? Like, that's okay. Like, that was actually a good thing. Like, I, again, again, but I chose my, like, it's funny. I have a lot of friends in Vancouver because my fa- a lot of my family lived there and everything. They said, why didn't you join Vancouver? I said, because the Lord brought me mm-hmm. to Victoria right. and that's where I discerned my vocation and that's where mm-hmm. I felt that God was asking me to serve him. And uh, it was just like, it was really kind of almost matter of fact that way. I mean, I could have chosen a different diocese, but yeah. like Victoria became my spiritual home. And, and when you when a place becomes your spiritual home, you, you fall in love with it. And when it, you fall in love with it, it becomes very easy to want to give your life there. Um, I mean, it's very interesting because like I would, I mean, I'd say, okay, yeah, both our dioceses are missionary, but they're very missionary in very different ways. Like, like our population here on the island is eight eight hundred and fifty thousand people, right. right? The city of Victoria alone's four hundred thousand people, so it's not like a poor place or anything like that. But we have twelve incarnated priests for our entire diocese. We have over thirty churches, but only twelve priests actually belong here. Um, and of that, there's only two of us who are under forty. One of us is in this 40s and the rest are 55 and older. Mm-hmm. Right? That's like in 10 years, I'm just like, oh my gosh, yeah. what's going to happen? Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I, 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 this is the, but there's like, there's a real need for a missionary priest to come out to these dioceses and say, yeah, uh, you got to, like you said, you got to come and see. And I, I think a lot of dioceses wouldn't say, oh yeah, just go join the seminary. They want you to come in and spend time there to see, is this where I want to serve? And I think one of the, kind of one of the breakdowns that we just need to address now as, as the church today is that when we talk about like the heroes of our diocese or our mission areas, they're almost always like the French Jesuits, the Franciscans, like these guys that had this heart and got sent out, the Belgians that you're talking about mm-hmm. here, that crew. Um, and today, a lot of those orders have have lost a lot of their fire and the guys don't have the missionary zeal that they used to. I think some of the younger guys do, but just seems like the 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 people the franciscans in our diocese like i love you guys but they've kind of lost it you know and so where where we still have run on this system we're expecting the religious orders to be staffing these areas and they are but they're coming from india and africa which like thank you india and africa thank you um but where are our guys here who mm-hmm. 
who have fire for the mission. I know it's there, but maybe it's not from the religious orders anymore, or I don't know. The conversation has to be renewed. Yeah. I, I can share this. Like, I was sharing this with Father Josh the other day um, when we were in, yeah, yesterday when you were in Victoria and just showing him around that, like, my diocese bore the fruit of the missionary like push that happened you know father damien or saint damien who was in hawaii father anthony i do not know this person about, D- about the damien guy who's, Amolokai? you don't know damien Amolokai? the guy mm, nope. who served the lepers in hawaii mm, nope father damien or saint damien was part of this whole push there was a real missionary um like explosion in belgium in the 18th century or sorry, 19th century. And St. Damien was part of that. And my diocese bore the fruit of all these Belgians. Like our first bishops were Belgian and everything. Because these, these guys came from Belgium to serve as priests, as missionary priests, because they wanted to go to the new frontier. And I think it's about finding a place, places. And I think it's also, I, like we were talking about this too a little bit. It's also maybe dioceses saying to their men, like, like yeah. to their seminarians, yeah. do any of you have a missionary heart? We have a lot of priests if any of you want to go and study for a diocese, well, you know, we're, we, you got our support because they need priests more than Nate. We do. Like I, I, like my diocese, we're going to have, another, we're going to have, a, we're going to have a few right now. We have like two parishes without priests this summer. We're going to have four parishes without priests. Wow. We're just that thin on priests. We need priests because without priests, there is no Eucharist. I think there also needs to be like, there needs to be courage on the part of bishops and vocation directors in dioceses where there are priests like or, for example i'll just i mean i'm not saying there's not this in pittsburgh but let's take pittsburgh for example because i'm from here we've got maybe 30 some seminarians um various levels of formation um we're going through a massive reorganization process right now uh, we definitely need more priests but we also don't need more priests in the way that you guys need more priests so you know to open up that possibility and to trust the Lord enough that he'll take care of your diocese if you are also generous with your guys too and allow them to explore these things as well. And that takes a lot of, a lot of trust. And I can imagine, I can imagine um, not, not necessarily my diocese, but other places where in similar situations with me, like, you know, would that bishop allow this sort of thing to not allow, but yeah, like would let you come and talk about that kind of thing. Um, or a priest, maybe a priest who's listening to this, uh, is drawn to that kind of life and now is feeling that call will that bishop um have the courage to allow him to go somewhere else where the lord is probably calling him that's i think it's a complicated thing yeah courage courage from the whole church to just trust jesus it's his church and uh, right yeah (laughs) and if we like work together in helping people discern authentically in the heart of christ then we're going to be staffed uh, but also just, I mean, for us mission diocese too, like we need to, to be uh, courageous in making ourselves known and putting the call out there and mm. letting people know like, hey, we're here and this is what it's like. And this is why it's awesome. And this is why it's so hard. And maybe Jesus <laughs> yeah. is calling you away from father, mother, homeland uh, in this way. And if he is, that's where your heart's going to be mm-hmm. going to be found yeah and i want I, I got i got a question here for father josh in a second about like what his experience like what's your experience been like so far but i want to just maybe like, make one point that we were talking about on our drive back yesterday or drive down on sunday was like we have to remember too like okay yes bishops are essential to the structure of the church right priests are essential to the structure of the church the pope is essential to the structure of the church dioceses are not actually they're not like they're they are juridical bodies that have been created to help structure large bodies of Christians. And it makes sense, right? 
but this is the thing. It's like we, 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 what happens is that we then like, we start to say like this, we only, we only, only preach for my diocese. Like I'm not, I only care about my own turf. It's like, no, no, no. The church universal is what matters. And it's like, as long as we're getting priests for the church universal, that that's what should, that's what should be really on our heart. Um, so that, and, and that when like, do you, do you have enough faith in the Lord to say, if I sacrifice these guys that the Lord's going to provide, like we were just talking about, right? Cause when we get, when we give out of our need, that's when God really kind of overflows with his generosity, right? That's when he, like, yeah. that's when, when we're, when we're kind of giving up something like where we feel like we're going to have nothing, that's exactly the place where grace go, gets to work. And I think that's the way we need to start thinking about these other dioceses where vocations are at a shortage. Like, I, I don't know about what it'd be like for Gal, but I know for my diocese, if we had like three more priests, right, we would be just like ecstatic. We would be so ecstatic. It would do so much good for us right now. Three more priests would change a lot of things for us <laughs> yeah. in a good way. Sure. And it would be, uh, it would, it would ease so many of the personnel issues we're having right now with, with figuring out who's going to go where we're having to start combined parishes, not because the populations are down, but because we don't have enough priests. You know what I think? So they asked, or maybe he talked about it in a letter. I don't know what it was, but I remember reading this years ago. They asked Pope St. John Paul II, should mission dioceses have missions? And, and he said, yes, just because of what you were saying. Yes, because we give out of what we need, not out of our surplus. So I sort of think that in some ways that's the way to like put our money where our mouth is, put our faith where, where, where we need to pour it out, which is like, okay, Let's start some missions from our mission diocese, yeah. and then, and not like not like what now, Lord, but like yeah. you know, like let's have that trust and yeah. let's pour it out, and yeah. then, um, and then we're credible, I yeah. guess, and we have that credible witness of sacrificial love ourselves. Yeah. It's hard. To, mission dioceses are sort of an oxymoron because as soon as you're a diocese and you have your own bishop, you're kind of expected to take care of yourself, and I think that's. Mm part of the breakdown what you're saying it has to do yeah. with structure yeah we're expected to take care of ourselves but it's in 500 years it's never worked that way yeah so <laughs> yeah. so father josh maybe you can tell us maybe some of the ups and downs of being a missionary priest like what, what, what some of the maybe like a couple joys and a couple like real challenges that you are recognizing maybe you or you've seen others need to have to kind of grow oh, yeah. through in okay. this because yeah, yeah. so uh, in in the diocese of gallup we have uh like every assignment is just totally different. And so I've actually never been assigned to the reservation area yet. Um, my my mission work is with, uh, I'm in an area which is just like Hispanic families that have been around for 10, 12 generations, still have a lot of their traditions and devotions, still speak like old Spanish in addition to English. And uh, that is just a joy. Like the difficulty with them is they're just ornery and headstrong and they know what they want. And, uh, and that's, I mean, that's not really a difficulty. Guide your priest people, like, like tell, tell your priest, like how he can serve you. And that's what my people do. Um, so that's really beautiful. And like, for me, it opens my heart up. I have like, unlike Father Harrison who hates Mary, like I have a devotional heart. I like <laughs> processions. Like I believe in lighting candles and, uh, and a simple prayer. And, uh, and that's the heart of my people, right? So um, it's incredible out there. I would say the challenge is, and this is the way our hearts are, like you are not gonna have a natural affinity for everyone you're called to serve. There are some cultures that like, even if we want to be the kind of person that just embraces everything, like our hearts just aren't there. We're small and broken. And so sometimes you're just called to serve people who like, because in a mission environment, this culture is very different than what you grew up with and are used to. That can be hard to penetrate sometime and, 
and not just in like a personality level, which we all have to deal with, but we are going to be called to serve cultures that we're not going to understand always. And that requires patience, humility, willing to be taught and willing to make mistakes and ask forgiveness. And that's, that's just part and parcel of the little way of being a missionary priest. Okay. So let's say someone is listening to all this and is feeling their heart being moved and they're like, Oh, maybe I need to check this out. How would they get in contact with you, with your diocese if they want to see what's going on? Uh, yeah. So diocese of gallup.org. Uh, father Josh Mayer is F R J Mayer M A Y E R at diocese of gallup.org. I think I have a Twitter now and I'm uh, at tweet mob with two B's and uh, I'm Facebook as well, but easily through the diocese of Gallup website, diocese of gallup.org. Yeah. Or if, if you're listening and you for some reason didn't hear all that information, I can always get you in contact with him as well Yeah. or come to Victoria. Yeah. Let me plug Victoria. I've been here for like several days and it is amazingly beautiful and the need is great here. Like brothers in mission support each other exactly. and it's awesome here too. Yeah. Not as awesome as Gallup. But it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Good. Cool. All right. So uh, I think that's a good time to, to wrap up. We're sorry that Tommy can't come on the show. He uh, heard that missionary call, and he's in Africa with his family now. So uh, God bless you, Tommy, on that. Thank you for yeah. listening. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you're listening. And tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Fr Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. No. Yes. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is my Twitter handle. Yes, yes it's Father Sharapa. Yes, it hasn't yes. changed. And? And uh, at TweetMob2Bs, shout out Fiona Holly. <laughs> and you can contact the podcast and receive updates with at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. God bless. Peace. <laughs>